You are listening to Arrive by The Cycling Podcast, supported by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Good afternoon, Lionel. <laughs> Laughing already, Daniel. Laughing already. Full of beans, full of enthusiasm. The cheese has been rolled. The, well, the Grand That's Fromage. That's it for another year. The, the, what a shame. Yeah, the Grand Fromage. <laughs> I mean, my flabber is ghasted. Um, Tadej Pogacar won, as pretty much everyone in the known universe predicted this morning. Flesh will own. Adds it to Amstel Gold. He's on for the treble. The only thing that can stop him now is Remco Evenepoel, it seems to me. But there we are. The most exciting two minutes and 40 seconds of the season is now behind us. Well, I vowed, I vowed, <laughs> Lionel, didn't I? That I, my position, my default position for this year was going to be that Flesh Wallon is the most exciting race on the calendar. So I'm going to die on that particular hill above Hui, above the River Meuse <laughs> over the next half an hour. Um, it's going to be a painful death. Well, well, I mean, we did joke at the end of the podcast a couple of days ago that perhaps we should have done our social experiment where one of us watched the whole race and one of us only watched from the bottom of the final climb of the Murdhui, the last of 1.3 kilometres. Uh, we didn't do that, or at least I assume we didn't do that because I watched. I that's what that's what Patrick Lefebvre did in an effort to make Fleshwell on more interesting this year, maybe more interesting from his personal point of view as the manager of Sudar Quickstep, but he was on the roadside, wasn't he? Did you see him? He was. was he? I mean, I couldn't, there was not a restaurant to be seen. What was he up to? What was he up to? I thought maybe he dived in somewhere for a nice lunch and was, you know, popping out to the roadside to crack the whip. And no surprise, really, that a couple of Sudal Quickstep riders were active around that point. Maybe word got to them that the boss was going to be on the side of the road shortly. And, uh, well, that was uh, the, the futile move of the race, really, but which, which is damning it, I think, with a little bit of faint praise because it was quite interesting, the run to the bottom of the climb, wasn't it? Yeah, but it was very much a stereotypical edition of Flesh Malone, wasn't it? It, it? it strikes me, it's kind of sort of ritual drama that you might have seen in, I don't know, ancient Greece where the demos kind of dutifully trudge into the arena every year to see the same tragedy, the same drama, and all pretend to get excited about what's coming next. And, and everyone sort of contrives a kind of suspense that isn't really there. There is well, hang on. suspense in the sense that the the are three or four or five riders who can potentially win, you would think, um, as the race comes into the bottom of the moor. Was that the case today? I think Tadej Pogacar was the overwhelming favourite. But it's very much like a bunch sprint on a flat stage, except you don't have the adrenaline rush, the kind of high-octane excitement of the, the the speed of that brings um because it is like a slow motion bunch sprint isn't it it is indeed i mean the idea of it being repetitive uh, you know the royal shakespeare company put on romeo and juliet repeatedly i mean they haven't moved on to do something else have they <laughs> Every, everyone knows the storyline everyone knows the probably can recite the uh, the famous speeches but th- nuance you know the actors change um, the directors change, and I suppose that is flesh wallowing, isn't it? But the, the 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 thing about today's race was that really who was going to stop Pogacar? I mean, they had a go though. That was the thing. It was quite an interesting final final ascent of the Murdochui, and 
we're going to play up the positives. I'm determined here. This new kind of circuit with the um, Cote d'Ref and the Cote de Chirave is much, much better than the previous run-in, which really, um, I mean, there was almost no suspense to the previous run-in. It was, you could just turn the television on and watch the last uh, the last climb. There was, Two minutes, there was 40 more seconds. To it. There was more yes. to it. The Cycling Podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. That early break had some decent riders in it, didn't it? Uh, Gail Zimmerman. Are we f- officially in the monologue of the n- semi-monument and the non-monument now? Well, I, I suppose, I suppose so. But we'll we'll kind of we'll we'll summarise the run into the final climb, and then I think we'll unpick the final climb in a bit more detail because it was all about that final thirteen hundred metres or so, wasn't it? But the break had some decent riders in it. Georg Zimmerman of Antomarche was in there. Soren Krau Anderson of Alpecin de Kerning. He was the, the biggest name. But also Daryl Impey, Yetzer Boll. Uh, I was pretty impressed by uh, Jakob Hinsgall of Uno X as well. He was one of the, the final men standing. Raul Garcia and Johan Mians were the others in there. I should just say, no defending champion this morning. Dylan Turns of Israel Premier Tech didn't start because... Uh, he apparently has flu. And no, Benoit Cosnefoy of AG2R either didn't start. So Larry was probably at a loss. Larry, our good friend Larry Warbass, who was on the main, the regular episode this week, um, he talked about well how bereft the team was likely to be without Benoit Cosnefoy. I don't know if you noticed Larry. Larry was looking good. Mm. Um, the second time at the Murdahui, that was when things started to get serious there were a couple of attacks over there and the pace went up significantly and Larry was very much in the first um, tier of the peloton at that point I'm just looking at where he finished but you crack on indeed well he was 53rd the, the the kind of the the moves before the moor there was uh, there was that little move by Peter Seri of Sudal Quickstep roughly at the time that Patrick Lefebvre emerged from his lunch and then the penultimate time over the Murdahui, Samuele Battistella of Astana got clear to chase what was now a front two. It was Zimmerman and Soren Kraut Anderson were the two up front. And then we had uh, Battistella and Louis Viveka, another Sudal quickstep rider. Um, they were the, the two pairs of riders that were at the head of things. And they finally came back together to form a quartet that ran towards the bottom of the final climb. Um, there was a crash, wasn't there? Nielsen Paulus of EF Education down again, as he was on Sunday at Amstel Gold. Andreas... Jose Joaquin Rojas, who I don't think I've seen a, a race this year that uh, Jose Joaquin Rojas hasn't crashed in. It seems every time I turn on the TV, he's on the floor. Yeah, and Andreas Kron, Lotto Destiny's uh, big rider for these races, also down. And I believe, uh, might need to check this, but I think Victor Lafay of Coffee was. was also caught in it. And more of him a little bit later, because that was notable. Anyway, this quartet was still around 35 seconds clear. Absolutely no chance in a million years that they were going to stay clear, was there? Uh, UAE Team Emirates, who've been prominent all day, they're on the Sharav, the final time. Diego Ulissi and Mark Hershey were leading. It was all looking pretty lively at the front there. And it was Louis Viveka of Sudal Quickstep, who was the last man standing. He did have the honour of leading the race onto the Murdahui, but didn't last too long. And then, well, let's unpick the finale because 
quite a lot did go on, actually. As they came into the bottom, Simon Clark of Israel Premier Tech was leading for Michael Woods. Magnus Sheffield of Ineos Grenadiers was up there as well for Tom Pidcock. Balka Mollema of Trek Segafredo was up there. And One stage, one stage, it was looking like it could be another Sheffield Wednesday. Whoa, very good. Football reference number one. But ominously, Pog was there, wasn't he? Front and centre, pretty much from the bottom of the climb. Yeah, I must say that UAE did an excellent job. Mm. Um, they did an excellent job. Well, throughout the day, they were on the front. I mean, we addressed the other day, didn't we? These murmurs, these mumbles in the peloton, in the paddock from opposing direct sport teams who are sort of mystified at other teams working with UAE at this point with Tadej Pogacar. So it's dominant. And UAE did do most of the controlling today. But they have a very good team for well, a race like Fleshwell on. And particularly that finale, you know, when George Bennett was deterring anyone who might have been minded to put in a serious attack and then here she and Ulisi on the Sharav made it absolutely impossible particularly Ulisi on the Sharav made it absolutely impossible for anyone to to get any kind of gap and well we we wondered didn't we about Pog and whether he might try to mix things up a bit go early he didn't really need to that probably would have been a bit gratuitous in the end but they did deliver him perfectly he was sort of second or third wheel coming into the bottom of the Mudahui and um, yeah whatever doubts that have been in the past about UAE and their ability to support him adequately at the Tour de France. I think, you know, they are, well, we know that they've recruited well and they are getting better and better. But of all types of races, um, I think this is one where there aren't really or there weren't really many doubts about their capabilities. Yeah, and then really Pogacar, I mean, it was a, an exhibition of supreme patience from him, really, wasn't it? Could he have gone a bit further out? He didn't need to. He really turned on the afterburners. I mean, there's quite a bit to fill in the gaps there. But the, the way he rode that climb, you know, so measured until his moment was quite impressive. I mean, we've talked so much about how um, he has this tendency to want to start the action a long way out. You know, this was completely the opposite. And it must be quite hard to just sit in the saddle and stay there and wait and just feel the movement around him because there was quite a bit of movement. I thought Mike Woods looked good. Uh, Roman Bardet, for a moment, was looking extremely good. He made a very, very big effort on the right-hand side and was coming up the inside, but just got squeezed as Woods moved over, had to completely check his effort, but then was back up at the front again as they were coming into the really critical part. Um, but when Pog turned on the afterburners, well, that was it. I mean, he he melted all the cheese behind him, didn't he? I mean, just just, you know lashings of melted cheese rolling down the well, murder field like, behind him every day is a school day on the cycling podcast and today i learned that um, strukli are a ch slovenian cheese roll and they're one of the slovenia's national dishes so there we shouldn't go. really be surprised should there we by go. the result today so yeah uh Pogacar, as, as I said, everyone expected him to probably win today. Uh, is it a little bit disrespectful to say that the race really was to see who would get second place? Uh, that honour went to Matthias Skelmoser of Trek Segafredo. In fact, had two riders in the top five because Giulio Ciccone was fifth. Mikel Lander, kind of the, the quiet man, um, not Having a good start to the season, yeah. yeah. And was ill after the Basque Country, tour of the Basque Country as well, where he was good. But he said in his interview today after Flesh that he had been ill after the Basque Country. So he wasn't confident at all today. Well, he was third 
good podium position for him. And then Mike Woods, whose recent results at Flesh Wallone are exceptional. Third, fourth, sixth, and third in his last four attempts. Um, and as I said, Victor Lafay, the French rider of Cofidis, who was down in that crash with Nielsen Paulis, or at least delayed by it, he finished sixth. Impressive. And then Roman Bardet, well, he went from first or equal first, about 250 metres out to ninth uh, by the finish line. And I suspect that was because, you know, his effort was really disrupted. I mean, he had all of that momentum, lost it, and then still had to, you know, still got himself back into contention, but paid the price in in the final 200 metres. And on a climb like that, where it is all about those fine margins and that timing, that was just too much for him. But what does it all mean for Sunday? Shall we discuss that in the next part? Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Well, Daniel, it's not just Tadej Pogacar who is on for the treble of the not-quite-Ardennes classics. He's got Amstel Gold. He's got Flesh Wallone, Liege, Baston Liege, of course, on Sunday because... In the women's race today, Demi Vollering added Flesh Wallone to the Amstel Gold race, which she won on Sunday. Vollering's first win at Flesh Wallone, she's been third twice before. And I mean, a, a sort of Pog-esque run of race results this season. Seven races, four wins, two second places and a 17th at Het Newsblad. Extraordinary form from Demi Vollering of SD Works. And she'll be the hot favourite on Sunday. She's won Liège Baston Liège in uh, 2021. She was third last year, third also in 2019. But the thing that struck me about the women's race, which finished incredibly early, actually, they must have started uh, very early this morning. Um, there was a very powerful group away just before uh, the final climb. And then a group came up from behind to kind of swell the ranks. But uh, Vollering was completely unmoved. She rode the final climb as if she was, you know, like a, a, a horse with blinkers on, you know, nothing around her phased her at all. She was in position 1A all the way up the climb. And a little plug for our Friends of the Podcast episode that went out this morning, the first of a two-parter, the Ardennes, according to Dan Martin. Dan Martin, previous winner of Liège, Baston Liège, of course, who never quite cracked the code of the Murdehui. He talked about the difference between racing the climb and racing the opposition. And with the power of the opposition around Vollering, there was, in that group was uh, Ashley Moulman-Passio, Cassia Nuvadama, uh, Elisa Longo-Borghini, Mavi Garcia, Liana Lippert, who ended up second. Um, you know, lots of riders to keep an eye on and be aware of, but Vollering was just kind of, you know, completely focused and rode the climb as if it was just a time trial. Uh, really, a lot more. Generally, the women's flesh run is more interesting with more permutations, shall we say, than the men's edition. Generally so, but um, as I say, it was a it was a Vollering masterclass today, and uh, well, we could be on for uh, two trebles on. Sunday um but back to the men's racing 
Pogacar has got the considerable obstacle of Remco Evnepoel on Sunday, and that will transform the race, I think. I hope. What do you reckon? Well, before we talk about Liège line, just uh, something you said there in relation to Dan Martin and cracking the code of the Mudahui. We talked about this, didn't we, on Monday? This idea, this suspicion that maybe the Mudahui was a kind of kryptonite to Pogacar, that it didn't really suit him. Um, it, it, there was something slightly different in his approach or the way he rode it today compared to the riders around him. I mean, if you look at the... We talked a lot, didn't we, after the Cobble Classics. Uh, we talked before Flanders, I think, and after when Pogacar won about riders' weights. And I just scanned the riders' weights sort of in the top 10, all under sort of 65, 66 kilos. Pog, pretty much the heaviest of the top 10, 66 kilos. And he... Um, was in the saddle pretty much the whole time on the or for most of the way up the Mudahui. Um, whereas those around him adopted some more sort of pure climbers' uh, techniques on danseurs. And it was interesting to hear Tom Pidcock when he came over the line. Pidcock, who faded quite badly in the last few hundred meters, said he hadn't recovered after Amstel, but. He said, even having seen Pogacar win today, he he's not necessarily sure that. Um, this, or he, he sort of, I think he said that he certainly doesn't think Pogacar is unbeatable in this particular race in Flesh Will On. So I almost feel, having watched that today, that Pogacar won almost in spite of the the climb, in spite of the fact that maybe he's not his favourite climb still. And it could just be that when we get to Liège at the weekend, longer race, different climbs, different finale that he feels even more at ease than he did today. Yeah, good point that about Pogacar, you know, rock steady in the saddle. I mean, very similar similar to Demi Vollering in the women's race. And uh, yeah, quite quite a similarity between the way they both attack the climb. Um, but there is the hope that Remco Evenepoel and today Pogacar are going to go head to head against one another. I don't know how you think it will play out, but is it going to be a, a kind of a race to see who, you know, tries to slap their ace down on the table first? And who is it that makes the first move? Or will it be more of a waiting game and a, and, and, and a sort of, you know, risk it? and see if it breaks up over the final climbs rather than going from a long way out. Because, I mean, well, when we look back at the way Evenepoel won last year, um, it does seem to me that Pogacar might have to get in first. I don't know. Yeah, well, Remco likes to take it on early well, as much as Pogacar does, doesn't he? But it's going to be really interesting to see what Sudal uh, Quickstep do. There's a lot of pressure on them. Obviously, they came into Liège in a very similar position last year because they'd had a bit of a washout in the Cobble Classics and Remco saved their classic season with the victory in Liège. So they're going to have Julien Alaphilippe again at the weekend. But I was listening Lionel, yesterday to a uh, podcast, um, Patrick Lefebvre mentioned him earlier. It was an, an RMC uh, French podcast and Patrick Lefebvre was the guest and he had his punnet of tomatoes out when he was hurling them again in Julien Alaphilippe's direction saying mm. that He's currently not minded at all to renew Alaphilippe's contract, um, not even really considering it at the moment, kind of suggesting they don't have a particularly friendly relationship at the moment. But Alaphilippe will be back and well, Liège is the the race that Alaphilippe 
sort of dreams of adding to his, his palmares and we all feel that he should have really at some point added to his palmares and, and hasn't yet so it's going to be interesting to see how they play their cards and obviously a lot of pressure on them as well yeah it was the coat de roche of Faucon that uh Evenepoel went on last year wasn't he went it? on the he laradou he went on laradou he, he he went on laradou first initially didn't he? yeah initially yeah yeah i mean that's when it all opened up but then he went went solo from uh from from later on so yeah it's going to be really interesting to see you know whether that plays on the mind of Tede pogachar and uae team emirates and and whether it is a you know a, a big uh, battle into Laradute, I mean, do we give anyone else a hope in hell, really? I mean, Trek Segafredo, I thought, looked pretty good as well. Skelmosa is clearly in good form, clearly a talent. He's got Ciccone there as a as a foil, I would suggest. They're, they're probably going to be a factor as well. Yes, and well, we're seeing, we always see at this time of year, don't we, the sort of stage race um armadas sort of sail into the picture and bahrain uh, you know whenever there's a a major stage race hilly races these days they're always strong and you know they've got a lot of good riders in decent form at the moment we mentioned Mikel lander i think they'll be strong ineos grenadiers will be strong uh, they haven't named their full team yet of course they've got Teo Gagenhart who's preparing for the Giro and he well he almost won his third stage of the Tour of the Alps today uh, in theory riders can finish the Tour of the Alps it finishes on Friday in fact doesn't it and do Liege Baston Liege there will be some doing that I don't think that that will be the case of Teo Gagenhart but there'll be a strong team as well um, as you say Lionel it's just it's the the sort of suspicion that the race will decant very early with about 50 or 60 kilometers to go or, or possibly from Laradute. And from that point, it might well be a clash of the Titans. That's that's sort of what the neutral will be looking forward to, isn't it? Maybe with the addition of one or two others, um, one or two uh, interlopers, party crashers, party poopers, maybe. Yeah, I think everyone's waiting for that battle. But also, this is the race where we do see the odd sort of Giro d'Italia and Tour de France wildcard rider drop in as well. And that mixes things up a bit. There'll be some... Well, we saw Mikel Lander today. Uh, he's not really had the best of times at uh, Fleshwell Alone before, um, but clearly going very well. But EF Education Easy Post apparently will be bringing Richard Carapaz. Um, we might see we might see Alexander Vlasov for Bora Hansgrohe. You know, the the field diversifies quite a bit. There's there's this mix, isn't there? The classics riders and some GC riders, and that does change the dynamic a little bit. Yeah, and the climbs are slightly less explosive in some cases, particularly towards the back end of the race, partly because it's, well, it is a longer race and, and riders are more tired when they get into the sort of key climbs from Laradou onwards. So even guys like Emmerich Mass, who who didn't look great today, um, I expect he'll be in better fettle at the weekend. It was interesting, wasn't it? You mentioned EF uh, Education Easy Post and we spoke to Ben Healy at the start of the week and you know, they were they were quite hopeful about his chances in Flesh Wallon and he was in good 
position for a lot of the race. Certainly, I think the penultimate time in the Mudahui, he was right at the front. And so sort of, he was positioning himself on Tadej Pogacar's wheel, ready to, or poised to, to strike. And then he faded and finished 32nd in the end. Um, not sure if he had any problems. And um, there were a couple of riders who faded quite badly. And Sergio Higuita of um, Bora, he was looking good at one point. And then on the the Shav, uh, we saw him getting dropped. I don't know if he'd had issues. Um, but EF Education will have a strong team as well. I think they're sending Carapaz at the weekend. And what I said about Emmerich Mass, the same applies to em- to Richard Carapaz, I, w- I would say, about Liege Baston Liege. Yeah, well, We're speculating, Lionel. We're doing a lot of speculation. We are. This is well. I mean, you know, we, the 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 Pogachar show was uh, it was sort of one and a half dimensional, really, in the end, wasn't it? Uh, but the big question is, who's going to win, Daniel Pogachar, or who will it be, Pogachar or Evnapol? And if so, which one will it be? I am going to say that neither is going to win, and I'm Ooh. going to take an outside. I'm going to say that. Uh, uh, Roman Baldet, because he looked so good today, I'm going to say that he is going to upstage both of them somehow. I don't know how. Um, it seems like a tall order. Wow. wow. Uh, coming into Liège in a group is going to be tricky for him, depending on who yes, that group is. Yes, he's not going to win a sprint. Um, he's not so, going to win a sprint. So he's going to have to get away on his own. Where is he going to do that? Well, let's see. Let's see. We will discuss all of this on Sunday evening, Daniel, because we'll be sitting down for the full... Uh, four-course meal of Liège, Baston-Liège on uh, Sunday, won't we? We'll be back. Lionel, talking about talking about gastronomic references, I was, uh, in my efforts to sort of pass the time after Peloton, sort of uh, wended its way towards the bottom of the Mur de Huy. I was thinking about uh, when the worlds were in Leuven a couple of years ago, I did a piece about the origin of chips, where chips were invented. And do you know, are you familiar with this legend that they were invented... Um, on the Meuse River, which is a river that goes through Hui at the bottom of the Meuse, um, the the Meuse um, froze over. The, there was a year, a couple of centuries ago, two and a half centuries ago, I think. Well, let me let me get that. Let me get the um, story up here. In the 17th century, in fact, the people of Namur. Um, they were local fishermen among them. Um, chopped up potatoes into slices resembling small fish and fried those when they couldn't catch their fish because the Meuse had frozen over. However, this story has been disputed by the French and they claim that at that time, in the middle of the 17th century, people were already eating chips, frites in Paris. And incidentally, there's going to be an awful lot about the origin, the provenance of some famous foodstuffs during the Giro d'Italia um, if you're interested in that kind of thing. I know not everyone is. Oh, I very much we're am. Gonna, we're going to have a lot about that, very particularly much Italian am. food. Looking, I'm looking forward to the pineapple pizza episode already. Um, yeah, well. Anyway, anyway, uh, we will be back, Daniel, on Sunday. I will try to fashion some kind of boulette de Liège, the, the famous meatball. I don't know. Have you had that in the gravy? The, oh, may, the have done, may have done. Yeah, yeah, it's very nice. It's very nice. Um, Rose Manley and Lizzie Banks will also be... Uh, recording on Sunday. They will be talking about the women's Liège Baston Liège for Arrivée. So there'll be two separate episodes for Liège Baston Liège. And if you've not yet had your feel of the Ardennes classics, uh, Dan Martin's uh, thoughts on Liège Baston Liège will be coming in part two 
of the Ardennes, according to Dan Martin, and Lionel of the Ardennes, the historic uh, friend special when Simon Gill and I went to ride the climbs and find out all about the cuisine and the, uh, whatever else it was we did and our adventures in 2019, I think that was. That is also available for Friends of the Podcast. And, Lionel, I would just invite any listeners to get in touch with their views about Fleshwell On. Are you, um, are you, do you consider yourself among the neo hipsters like me who facetiously have claimed this week that Fleshwell On is actually brilliant now? It's so bad it's good, so boring it's good. Or do you think it's just a, a rotten race? And, and maybe give us some suggestions about what what ASO could do to mix things up a bit. Certainly the men's race, at least. I mean, I was on Velo View. I was on Street View. This tells you a lot about what I thought of how this year's flesh went on. Within seconds of the finish today, I was on... This is not the first time I've done this. I've done this almost every year. Um, I was on Street View looking at ways in which the finish line could be repositioned and the route could be tweaked slightly. They've tried a few things. You mentioned the finishing circuit having changed. I don't think it's worked yet. Well, it's better. It's better, but... I was going to just say one thing I forgot to mention earlier. Uh, well, the the race first finished on the Murderhui in 1985 when Claude Criquillion won. Uh, that's why the bend is uh, named after Criquillion, who died a few years ago. You'll hear all about that in the Friends special. But there were three former winners in team cars today, I believe. Uh, Israel Premier Tech had Rick Verbrugger, who won in 2001. Lotto Destiny had Mario Ertz, who won in a sort of breakaway, didn't he, in 2002? Not the last break away but uh, uh, one of the last breakaways because Astaloa of Spain won from a break in 2003 uh, and Trek Segafredo Matthias Skelmoser had 1984 winner Kim Anderson I think in the team car and well maybe I mean Kim Anderson won when the finish was on the flat down in the town so maybe if Anderson had won on the hill he might have been able to give Skelmoser the code to crack the moor but maybe maybe and next just- year for him just to set off on another whimsical detour, maybe of the kind that ASO should contemplate for Fleshwell on. Mario Ertz, you mentioned there, won in a breakaway. I did a fascinating interview with Mario Ertz a few years thereafter. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but this brought him a lot of well, recognition in Belgium, a lot of pressure because Belgium didn't really have any climbers at the time. And on the back of him winning Fleshwell on, he was sort of hailed as Belgium's next hope um, to win the Tour de France. And Mario has told me a few years later that um, well, he had really struggled to live with this pressure, so much so that he had sort of developed a system, a reflex, whereby every time that he didn't ride well or didn't ride as well as the Belgian press thought he should, he would invent a new ailment um, to talk about in interviews after races. And he, he was perfectly, he was very transparent about this. He said, oh, you know, I'd come over the line and, and I'd point to my knee and grimace and say, oh, you know, uh, too bad. I had tendonitis today. And um, yeah, it was quite, a, it was quite a sort of sad and poignant story, but really fascinating about the psychology of someone who lives under or has to ride under the burden of that considerable expectation. Interesting, interesting. That reminds me, my foot hurts, Daniel, so we should probably wrap this episode up. Thank you very much. Speak to you on Sunday. Speak to you on Sunday, Lionel. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb, and Lionel Burney.